keep those California Indians down. Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. This new generation of digital technology is heightening unbelievably the power of the transnational capitalist class, of the transnational corporations and financial conglomerates that drive the global economy upon which we all depend. And these new digital technologies are also being used by the capitalist state in the United States and around the world to enhance social control and to give service to the transnational capitalist class and the drive to um, open up profit-making opportunities all over the world. Today on American Indian Airwaves, Global Civil War, Capitalism Post-Pandemic by William I. Robinson a brand new book that is a big picture synthesis of global capitalism in a deep state crisis that is cascading social and political conflict all over Mother Earth, impacting indigenous peoples and their respective First Nations, and highlights the implications for the future. All that and more here on American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines the lone blue elk in the black of the night You can hear, you can hear The whisper in the valley mm-hmm. And you know When come a honey blows To the bar who drum It's the warriors who are marching And we want to remind listeners that KPFK is presently in fun drive mode, and we want to ask all of you to continue your support with us here on American Indian Airwaves and KPFK and all the volunteer staff, administrators, and programmers that bring you marginalized voices, that bring you voices from uh, the front lines, that bring you voices from indigenous nations throughout Mother Earth, and as our way of helping and our way of saying thank you if you can support and do support us here on American Indian Airwaves. We are offering a brand new book by William Robinson. It's titled Global Civil War, Capitalism Post-Pandemic. It is a $100 thank you item that you can pick up. This is not the global police state as we offer before. This book focuses on the global civil war post the COVID-19 pandemic and how the political and economic systems have structured not only a global capitalist and, and political feudal system, a global feudal system, if you will, but how the pandemic has amplified and intensified, right? The vast political and economic inequities and how the rise of digitalization has really transformed global capitalism in new ways, right? Capitalism has been restructured 
in a way where we see the advancement of digitalization of the global economy and American society. And of course, being in, on lockdowns, uh, not only in the United States, but throughout the world, it has allowed those in power, the trans capital class, if you will, to exercise even greater power and consolidate greater power. And William Robinson just does a very succinct, copious job of outlining where we are in a global civil war with capitalism post-pandemic. It's a brand new book. It's a $100 thank you item. We want to encourage all of you to pick it up for $100. You can visit the kpfk.org website and select on a premium item, uh, pick up Global Civil War for $100. Or you can become a KPFK Sustainer Circle member by agreeing to pledge and make a monthly dollar denomination of your choice for being a KPFK Sustainer Circle member. You can call 818-985-KPFK or 818-985-5735. And we want to encourage you during these trying times to support KPFK and the marginalized voices that we bring here on American Indian Airwaves and volunteer programmers bring to KPFK. We are going to hear from the author that we interviewed here shortly on the brand new book. But Marcus? Larry, you're so, you're so right. You know, I think this book that we're offering as a thank you is Global Civil Wars. And I looked at that title and going, holy moly, if you will. But this stuff, it talks about what no one's talking about now. Native people are not talking about it. The general population is not talking about it. But just like Tuscumsa and many other of our leaders, what's the big picture? And that's what we kind of get at American Indian Airways. We go over the radio. We focus on Native American frontline fighters. And well, what's the big picture? And that's what this book and what, what William I. Robinson does is, is it outlines this big picture. And he states what this radical political economy is go beyond what uh, the government's talking about or the think tanks, Rand Corporation, you go down the line, right wing or even left wing, talking about this political economy that makes some sense so everybody can understand it and understand the big picture. Now, what's so interesting because you finally realize a system that is breaking down, what he states, Larry, is since the Second World War International Order. And there's a lot to that. This read takes you down the path of this rapid political polarization in global society since 2008. We talked about that, Larry, and how 2008, even the pandemic, and even our interviews of people with the frontline struggles in the healthcare system, within treaty rights, within the employment, within sovereignty, and within the future, about Native nations, per se, are under a challenge, economic and political and social challenge, where a lot of the Native people are living outside the reservation and more so into the rural and urban areas, particularly the rural uh, areas, I mean, excuse me, the urban areas in which medical care, employment, how, you know, the healthcare system, the educational system, you go down the line, 
that uh, our last interview about the penal system, you know, industrial conflicts, you know, about how that affects us Native nations. And we, this book talks about this big picture, the struggle about to combat the rise of neo-fascism, which he talks about, and what that means to us within the frontline struggles, whether it be Oak Flats, whether it be the um, struggle within, within Nevada or Utah, the uh, Standing Rock area, the struggle in Canada and all the Atlantic and the Louisiana pipelines, all that gives you tools to work with and understand and I think, Larry, I want you to comment on that because you always talk about the, about the, uh, the topic, digitalized dictatorship he talks about. Why don't you give us a little handle of what that really means and how w- w- uh, William Robinson talks about that. Well, one of the things William Robinson talks about in terms of a digital dictatorship is that, you know, he's already outlined before the COVID-19 pandemic that major industries, whether it be big tech or these legacy media uh, industries, were already highly concentrated, already structured, a highly small sector of society with such inordinate concentration of political and economic but cultural power as well and with the pandemic in so many of us being rel- becoming reliant just out of economic survival and social communication survival have relied more so on the internet and our digital devices for forms of communication whether it be the personal whether it be for work or employment or academic purposes. And these companies in the big tech industries and the legacy media companies have concentrated even more power. And what William Robinson talks about is how these industries are interlocked or have interlocking relationships as part of the larger transnational corporate class. And that is part of this global civil war that he's talking about. And of course, it's such a concentrated few people that uh, the transnational capitalist class is that they too, are ideologically fighting with each other and everyone else, right? Just indigenous peoples, ordinary peoples, poor people, people living in extreme poverty, the working class. We are all the collateral damage that is part of this global civil war being fought by members of the transnational uh, capitalist class. And with digital dictatorship, you now have a handful of companies that dictate and determine American people's lives, what we see in our living daily reality, but also how this technology is used to surveil us, whether it be bio-surveillance, whether it be the surveillance of precarious label, uh, la- labor in the workplace environment. And William Robinson talks about all this. And we, you and I, Marcus, had the honor and pleasure to interview uh, William Robinson. And we're going to play some segments of our interview with William Robinson about his brand new book, which is our $100 thank you item. The book, again, is Global Civil War, Capitalism Post-Pandemic. It is a brand new book. It is a $100 thank you item. 
You can pick it up by visiting kpfk.org and clicking on the premium item widget to select this brand new book, Global Civil War. You can call 818-985-5735 or 818-985-KPFK. And if you can't afford the book, you can still help out and support American Indian Airwaves and support KPFK by becoming a KPFK monthly Sustainer Circle member by agreeing to make a dollar uh, donation in a denomination of your choice. And so, Marcus, we want to play uh, the first segment of part one of our interview with William Robinson on his brand new book, Global Civil War, Capitalism Post-Pandemic. With the book, um, maybe just start at the beginning of the book where you introduce us to the um, the struggle over the expansion, the attempted expansion of the 710 freeway, right through uh, El Sereno uh, or Atanga, is uh, I believe that's the original uh, village of that area. I was wondering if you could just talk to us about that and how does that relate to, as you title in your book, this idea of a global civil war and capitalism, if you will. Sure. So, yeah, well, let me just say there are four underlying themes to the book that are all brought together into the larger picture. Mm -hmm. One of them is the crisis of global capitalism. And I know we'll get into these four themes, you know, during the interview. Uh, A second is the pandemic and how the pandemic both aggravated the crisis and also accelerated the digitalization of the global economy, society, and political system, which is the third theme of the of the book, this um, very profound and rapid restructuring and transformation of global capitalism, driven by this new di- these new digital technologies in the hands of uh, the ruling classes. And the fourth theme, of course, and this is where the title comes from, is global civil war, which has to do with the mass revolt from below all over the world and the efforts by those from above, by the ruling groups, to squash and control this revolt through the global police state, which was the title of my previous book, but also utilizing these new digitalized technologies that are just now coming online and which became really massively used during the pandemic. The pandemic was a hothouse for developing and applying these new digital technologies. But So that's an overview of what the book is looking at and bringing those four things together. But let me speak about the this introduction in which I tell this story, which is right here in my neighborhood. I, I live in East L.A., and within walking distance is the end of the 710 freeway. And so that freeway was going to be extended. Uh, This was a plan of the the L.A. County government. It was going to be expanded from where it it bottoms out here in in East L.A., right at the beginning of Alhambra, for those who, who know the Southern California area, to Pasadena, which is a very wealthy area. And so the, the um, government started buying out all of these houses under eminent domain. And so there's all of these empty houses. I don't have the, the amount in front of me, but I think there's 60 or 70 houses. And then the wealthy people in Pasadena complained that they don't want the freeway going through their area. So the project was canceled. There will be no extension of that 710 freeway. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with William I. Robinson on his brand new book, Global Civil War, capitalism post-pandemic and now back to the interview but then what happened is we have these empty houses simply boarded up owned by the government because they brought them up to eminent domain and 
we have a, seri- a, a situation of home- mass homelessness in Los Angeles, together with New York. It's the biggest homeless population in the United States. On any given day during those pandemic years, there were 120,000 people living in the streets in Los Angeles. And when I did the research for this book, I also discovered that there are nearly 100,000 empty housing units in Los Angeles, simply remaining empty. So there's no reason technically, why we have a homeless crisis. So what happened with uh, the 710 Freeway, the the, um, vignette that I start to book with, is that on uh, Thanksgiving of 2020, this is in the midst of the pandemic, families squatted. They moved into, there was an action, a, a collective action, in which a bunch of families and their supporters in the movement against to fight against homelessness, uh, moved into these simply boarded up empty houses right here in my neighborhood. And I'm not talking, you know, about, uh, I'm talking here about families. There were uh, mothers with their children. And so almost immediately when they moved into these empty government houses, the police dispatched some 50 patrol cars, 50 patrol cars. They rammed down the doors. They hogtied the occupants. These are mothers with children, and they sent them out into the streets. A freezing, this is New Year's, the, sorry, uh, Thanksgiving, the eve of Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving, and threw them back out into the street. So here we see, why is there all these empty housing units with this mass of homeless people that need housing? Housing should be constructed for social need, but housing under this capitalist system is constructed in order to make profit. And if corporate landlords, and by the way, the majority of housing units in Los Angeles are now corporate landlords, they're not even individuals, individual homeowners or, you know, apartment building owners. And they build housing units to make profit, not to meet the social need of housing. So these 90, see these nearly 100,000 units remain empty because they cannot be profitably rented to poor and working class people. So the reason I started the um, the book with this story is because it really shows the dictatorship, the emerging dictatorship that we are living in worldwide. I almost named the book Digitalized Dictatorship. I opted instead for global civil war, capitalism post-pandemic. But the reason is that we're living under this dictatorship of transnational capital, of the transnational capitalist class, really exemplified in the homeless crisis in Los Angeles and exemplified in the global police state. In this case, 50 patrol cars, police patrol cars to evict some poor homeless women and children from empty houses. And the reason I call this, and that eventually became the title of the second chapter in the book, The Digitalized Dictatorship, is because this new generation of digital technologies is heightening unbelievably the power of the transnational capitalist class, of the transnational corporations and financial conglomerates that drive the global economy upon which we all uh, depend. And these new digital technologies are also being used by the capitalist state in the United States and around the world to enhance social control and to give service to the transnational capitalist class and the drive to open up profit to um, open up profit-making opportunities all over the world. So we're really in a new ballgame here in terms of global capitalism. The book talks about an emerging post-pandemic capitalist paradigm in which the world capitalist system is on the brink of this massive new round of major restructuring and transformation based on a much more advanced digitalization of the entire global economy and society. So that's a quick overview of both how I opened the book with that vignette and what the book here is is looking at. 
William, you stated in the book that this book is about the world that is emerging in the wake of the plague. Talk about that. Do a little teaser for our listeners. There's a lot. I love the book because of the fact that you have research and you put out, um, you have exposed, you might say, the amount of this polarization of wealth and power and deprivation and misery. Talk about that for our listeners. Absolutely. Well, let me first say something about the crisis and then get right into that, right into, into that. Global capitalism is in deep crisis. I actually think it's the worst crisis in the entire history of this 500-plus year system. And we have to be clear that the pandemic did not cause the crisis, but it greatly intensified it. And, what, and it's a multidimensional crisis. One, of course, is economic or structural. I want to talk about that. But another is a crisis of, of state legitimacy and of capitalist hegemony. The third dimension of the crisis, of course, is ecological, which means that it is an existential crisis for humanity and for that matter for life on the planet but it's also a crisis a social crisis for billions of people who are increasingly cannot survive in this global capitalist system now when billions of people cannot survive they've been made surplus humanity marginalized thrown into the margins that's not necessarily a problem for the ruling groups for the rich and the powerful unless this mass of humanity that cannot survive in the system rise up in rebellion. And that is going on. That's why the book is titled Global Civil War. This global revolt is a big theme of the story here. And when these, the masses rise up in rebellion, therefore, it's a crisis now for the ruling groups as well. So even before going into the pandemic, we had unprecedented levels of global inequality. This data is now well known that 1% of humanity and that 1% of humanity is led by, I'm just looking at a piece of paper in front of me to get the exact uh, figure, is led by some 35 million millionaires and some 2,400 billionaires. That's less than 1%. It's about 0.01% of humanity controls 52% of the world's wealth. 20% of humanity, we can say it's that portion of humanity that can survive in global capitalism controls 95% of the world's wealth. That means that 80% of humanity has only 5% of the world's wealth. And so what happened with these extreme levels of inequality, they became much more pronounced, even deepened further by the pandemic. And as digitalization deepens and moves forward, so here I want to talk at some point in the interview on the restructuring taking place through digitalization. The, this digitalized restructuring will only deepen further these already unbelievable and historically unprecedented levels of inequality. And um, the, in the United States, the billionaire class increased its wealth by $931 billion just from March to October of 2020. That's the first six months of the pandemic. The rich in the United States increased its wealth by almost a trillion dollars, while 60 million workers lost their job, thrust into poverty, hunger, and homelessness. But worldwide, worldwide, the billionaire's wealth increased by 27% in those first six months of the pandemic to $10.2 trillion in the first six months of the pandemic. So while the, the mass of humanity is suffering under this pandemic, not just the health effects of the pandemic, but the massive spread of impoverishments, 
and hunger and unemployment and underemployment. The pockets of the rich all around the world were incredibly lined. Price gouging, fraud, racketeering. I just want to give one example here in the United States. You, in the United States, private corporate hospitals, and increasingly we have to look, the health care system is not public. We have a, a, a medical industrial complex. The private corporate hospitals in the United States jacked up charges to patients during the pandemic as much as 18 times above cost. And in 2021, the private hospitals reported profits of $100 billion. Let me give another piece of data here. Pfizer's 2021 profit was $81 billion. That compares to its profits in 2018, that is before the pandemic, of only $11 billion. And by the way, to put this in context, let me repeat that just Pfizer, one of these global pharmaceutical corporations that made out like bandits during the pandemic, Pfizer, made up $81 billion in profits. In comparison, total U.S. spending on education that includes federal, state, and local governments was in that year only $124 billion. So one global pharmaceutical corporation made almost as much as entire educational spending in the United States. Uh, so this is a picture. That's one example. This is the picture um, all over the world. Now, I haven't talked yet. I know I'm talking a lot um, with one single question you've asked me, but I haven't talked yet about this digital restructuring and how the digital restructuring now underway, that is the emerging post-pandemic capitalist paradigm, will only heighten these contradictions. It will heighten inequality. It will heighten the systems of, of global um, social control, and it will aggravate the economic dimensions of the crisis and also even the military dimensions of the crisis. So, so we haven't spoken about that yet, but, but uh, at some point I would love to jump into this, the nature of this digital restructuring. You, I would like to go into that direction too. But however, the, um, before that, you talked about how global capitalism is emerging from the pandemic and in dangerous new phase. And you finally talked about the contradiction within the crisis ridden system that was before the pandemic. What do you mean by that? Yes. So before the pandemic, and that's why I gave the figures, 1% of humanity controls 52% of the world's wealth, 20% controls 80% uh, of, the, of the world's wealth. So what does this mean at an economic uh, level? This is what we call a crisis of overaccumulation. Now, that sounds like a big technical word, but it's really not. It's that the whole our whole global economy and society is controlled by capital, by private capital, by the giant um, transnational corporations and, 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 and financial conglomerates that run the whole global economy upon which we all depend. And because of these extreme levels of inequality, the global market cannot absorb the output of the global economy. In other words, we have the capacity to produce all of these things which human beings need, need and want, but 80% of humanity cannot really consume. And so capitalists cannot continue making profit. They're not going to invest in the, in the, make investments that, that would be helpful for humanity if they can't make a profit from it. So they turn towards speculation, wild, incredible financial speculation, which destabilizes the whole global economy that led to the 2008 financial collapse a financial collapse which affected billions of people around the world while the banks made off like, like bandits. To give you an idea of the extent of this financial speculation, 
uh, in the face of overaccumulation crisis. The global economy, the entire good, uh, production of goods and services in the world is valued at $75 trillion a year. But financial speculation, just in derivatives, derivatives is a, is a, is a speculative instrument, was a, is a quadrillion dollars. You did hear that right. $75 trillion is the real global economy of goods and services which we all live in. And just one financial speculative instrument is a quadrillion, quadrillion dollars. So this gives the idea of how the whole global economy is teetering on the brink with this unbelievable financial speculation. Something else as well is that debt levels have never been higher in the history of the world economy. Debt meaning families and consumers have to increasingly rely on borrowing and on credit cards and extending the day of reckoning simply to consume and survive. But it's also corporate debt and it's government debt around the world. Governments around the world can't pay their bills uh, because of the economic crisis. And so they borrow and that's debt. And this debt is reaching ceilings. We've had debt driven debt-driven growth in the global economy since the 2008 financial collapse. It intensifies in 2021, going now into 2022. And then the other big area which has kept this global economy going in the face of this crisis, which again preceded the pandemic. The pandemic just made it worse. But the pandemic also made the ruling groups more powerful in their ability to control. And we'll get into that with the discussion, of course, of the global um, Revolt. But let me say the other big area that the what I call the transnational capitalist class, the global investor class, that they are investing in now in the face of stagnation in the global economy, in the face of this overaccumulation crisis, is in the global police state. They're investing in systems of transnational social control and repression and warfare. There is a war raging in Ukraine right now. It is a tragedy for the people of Ukraine, well, for the people of uh, Russia as well. It's a tragedy for the world's people just as is the, the conflict in Yemen, the aggression against Yemen, et cetera, et cetera. But these conflicts and this new expanding war in Ukraine is wonderful for the ruling groups. That is what they want. They make billions and trillions in profit in the global military, industrial, financial, technological complex, which is at the very core of this emerging post-pandemic capitalist paradigm. And already, the stock of the leading military industrial uh, firms are skyrocketing. And there's, there's going to be, a, there already is underway a surge in military spending around the world. This is what I call in my previous book that you interviewed me on, uh, The Global Police State, and then I retake the theme in the new book, Global Civil War. I call it militarized accumulation, meaning that the transnational capitalist class, the global investor class, they can't make money in other ways, so they make money by expanding wars and conflicts and destruction and repression and systems of social control, whether it's building private prisons or border walls or whether it's funneling um, uh, uh, weapons and, um, and mercenary soldiers to Ukraine. This is, a, this is the cutting edge now of the global economy. We want to remind listeners you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. And we were just listening to William Robinson speaking on his brand new book, Global Civil War, Capitalism Post-Pandemic. It is a $100 thank you item for supporting us here on American Indian Airwaves and supporting KPFK. Again, you can pick up this brand new book by visiting the kpfk.org website and clicking on the donation widget, if you will, and select the book. Or you can call 818-985-KPFK, 818-985-5735. It is a brand new book. It is our thank you 
item. This is a powerful brand new book. And the centerpiece of this book is a novel analysis of the radical restructuring of transformation of global capitalism based on a much more advanced digitalization of the global economy and societies throughout the world and of the social and political struggles breaking out worldwide around this process. And this has only been exacerbated during the last two years of the coronavirus pandemic. And it is insightful, it's powerful, and William Robinson illuminates this process of a greater concentration of political and economic power of the transnational capitalist class and how we are now in a global civil war capitalism post-pandemic. Again, it's a $100 thank you item. It is brand new. You can pick it up by visiting the kpfk.org website or call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Marcus? Wow, Larry. We offer this book, and this is one of the few books that can help the people within the front lines, Native people, people of color, everyday working class person that doesn't get this education, that this is, it just lines it up, talks about the, you know, we always throw this around the transnational capitalist class, talks about that. It talks about also this notion of, of uh, the relationship with uh, the World Health Organization's Bill Melinda Gates Foundation, the the U.S. government's Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, and uh, the outgrowth of that and the money making of that, for one thing, and about how to privatize public health systems in order to open up new opportunities of accumulation by the medical and big pharma industry. So we can see that. It talks about, it goes through, it takes you by the hand, and talks about the tech uh, platform and where Amnesty International states in the books warned against global vaccine apartheid using the big pharma profits must not be prioritized over the house of billions. And that means native people. We already discussed within American Airways being one of the only programs that went into the Indian Health Service and talks about the urban and rural crisis that we're in and talking about the this this particular state of instability with native country as well as the media that distorts the picture and is part of this process now this notion of the pandemic uh, made more worldwide left more inequality, more political tensions, more militarism, and more authoritarianism. Now, what does that mean? Well, you got to read the book. What does that mean for us as Native people? Well, you got to read the book. Well, what does it mean for people within, you know, talking about environment? Well, you got to read the book. Well, what about the, we talked about the slums and worlds and megacities. You got to read the book. All this we give you because we want to enlighten you gives you tools, not just, you know, rubbing alcohol or not just, you know, some of the nonsense, um, um, you know, thank you gifts. But this is a tool that we decided, Larry and I, on the American Indian Airways, the programs we produce, 
in order to uplift your understanding and contribute to the understanding of a station KPFK, the largest broadcast in Southern California. And also, you can always go online, kpfk.org, and listen to our program and other phenomenal programs offered here on KPFK that no, you cannot listen to it in no other commercial station. Larry, we're talking about a situation like with after the pandemic, this creation of uh, this global working class. A lot of times people don't know what that means. And that is, we cover the stories of, of Abayal North, Abayal South, and the situation with even, even the, the ouster of Morales and the whole notion of uh, the indigenous people with the politics of Bolivia trying to deal with that situation and the notion of Ecuador and all of South America and the Mapuches, how they got to relate to their own situation and their increasing fight against even the Zapatistas talking about this mega projects that are involved, the transnational capitalist class, the funding and the control of that funding through beyond the nation states, right? Whether it be India, China, or Europe or United States. This is something that's, that is much like the invasion, Larry, of the 15th, 16th century, 17th century within North America. A lot of nations didn't see the big picture. Now we want to give you, give you the American Indian give you this premium and, and as a thank you gift of this book, Global Civil War, Capitalism Post-Pandemic. And then how that fits into our understanding and what the news, commercial news media, what the political politicians are trying to send you a message of X, Y, and Z. And this book will try to provide you with the tools and understand this political economy of the world in in a very succinct manner, as well as the combat, the, the increase in social and political outbreaks around the world and that means around the world we're talking about around the block too Larry. we're not talking about just worldwide in the sense of what's going on in india and within china but what's going on within also in the borders of the united states that this is a empire that is uh, in question at this point in time financial crisis since 2008 uh, 1980 and about how that is uh, a uh, repeat of the cyclical crisis of capital, yeah. and you got to understand that. And I think people within the treaty, with treaty nations, and within the sovereign nations of indigenous people, need to understand what they're going against in order to make their plans for the future an ongoing plan, not only of struggle but of of the thrivability of the notion of how we will, in a cultural sense, thrive within the crisis that we're facing. And that we make allies, we make connections with the worst, with the rest of the people within the United States, especially around what I said, Abayala South and Abayala North, and how this program, American Indian Airways, with the decades of reporting that information, has provided you, hopefully, with some type of tools and information that you can see what the world is going through. And we're going through a lot, Larry, let's put that say. And this book, we won't. We don't just dangle around and saying, "Oh, this is this." We chose it by random, but I think this book helped other people within the front lines to determine 
this stage of world that we're in in order to give them happy and um, a better picture of the world today. So you got to phone this number, 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-5735. Or go to kpmk.org and put in, there's a list of stuff, Larry, that you indicated, that we offer this as a gift, a $100 gift, if you want it to the station, in order so we can continue the programming, not only American Airways, Larry. Yeah, thank you, Marcus. You're so right. And, you know, when we talk about global capitalism, you know, indigenous peoples, we make up today about 5% of the global population and we also represent about 80% of the world's remaining biodiversity. And that indigenous peoples are, you know, on the front lines, as you said, and, and as Native peoples, as Indigenous peoples, wherever we are and on Mother Earth, we can we cannot involuntarily continue subsidizing global capital. We have reached a critical juncture, and that's critical juncture, like what you're saying, is what William Robinson is talking about in his brand new book, Global Civil War Capitalism Post pandemic our $100 thank you item that you can pick up at kpfk.org or calling 818-985-5735 818-985-KPFK and it's just a powerfully rich book um, you know and on how the concentration of political and economic even military power right which is rooted in the United States I think that's important too is that when we're talking about economic and political systems and military systems the big picture as you uh, so succinctly characterize that that axis of concentrated political economic and military power is rooted here in the United States States and that is so important. Hey, Larry, the, I want to follow through on this what you just said, and I'll just read a little bit tidbit the ending of a book. It says that we cannot avoid violence and mass incarceration in the United States, and we're talking about a lot of Native people, Afro American people, Filipino people, Mexican American people, Chicano people, Latinx people, whatever how we want to phrase it, people of color that are involved with this mass incarceration in the United States without doing away with surplus labor, that is, doing away with the system that regulates tens of millions in the United States and several billion worldwide to the margins as surplus humanity. Now, what the heck does that mean? you got to pick up the book. you got to get the book. you got to realize what that means is that all our relatives, and that doesn't mean is, is police violence and mass incarceration of humanity, which is that's true. That, so, but like what you say, Larry, many times is that our relatives, our animal, plant, and insect life, that the environment and climate change that he's talking about, that it, in reference to that also, that we have to look at that in the sense of all these fancy words are in the direction of where our future lies ahead. And we got to necessarily do away with this surplus labor. What is that? Well, surplus labor also, we're talking about this surplus and the discussion of constant and uh, variable capital that it goes on to. But that, that instrument, those instruments of oppression and exploitation, and the reason why they, and I mean they, I mean the invasion 
wanted to do away with Native nations and people and the genocide and the Holocaust in order to where we are today, to do away with us, to do away with uh, with our existence in order so they can make their profit. Yeah, Marcus, in the book again is Global Civil War Capitalism Post-Pandemic by William I. Robinson. It's his brand new book. It is our $100 thank you premium item. Again, you can pick it up at kpfk.org or you can call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. And we want to remind you that this is our, that we offer this out of sincerity, out of critical urgency to inform yourselves, to empower yourselves, so we can collectively strategize, right, our way out of this. And 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 William Robinson talks about you know, strategy in, in one of the chapters in his book titled "Wither the Global Revolt." And you know, he's encouraging listeners, um, you know, to think about what he's saying as part of a strategy to combat what he calls the rise of neo-fascism. There's so much more to the book. And of course, we want to play listeners uh, the second segment of this part of the interview that you and I both had the honor and privilege of interviewing William Robinson on his brand new book, Global Civil War, Capitalism Post-Pandemic. And this is the second segment of part one of our interview with William I. Robinson on his brand new book, Global Civil War, Capitalism Post-Pandemic, here on American Indian Airwaves. You, you pictured, William, the, and you remarked about this book provides a big picture synthesis of global capitalism. And then you talked about the conflict, but yet before we get into digitalization, mm-hmm. uh, dictatorship, I wanted to ask you about, and I think it's important because when we talk about the overall scheme of things, we wanted, I wanted to ask you these questions about what did you mean by the breakdown of post-World War II international order? Because I think that, that uh, post-World War II international order was very significant in the global sense. And if we see that the breakdown of that, uh, how was that... Uh, how do we translate that into common knowledge, and what's so important about that? Sure. So the post-World War II international order wasn't one that anyone democratically decided upon. But so in the whole history of capitalism, we have these 200 and some odd nation states. Of course, I mean, I'm not going to get into We all know the background, the history of the birth of capitalism in, in, in Western Europe and how it expanded outward through colonialism and imperialism imperialism and conquest and genocide. I mean, that story we don't need to get into here. But the point is that over these 530 years, in fact, to date, if we, if we date the birth of the world capitalist system to, to 1492, 530 years, we've always had different ways in which this system has been politically organized, institutionally organized all around the world. And the particular political institutionalization, that's what I'm calling the, the international order, emerged after World War II, in which you had uh, the formation of the United Nations and the formation of the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, all of these international and multinational and transnational institutions which would regulate and set up the rules 
for the post-World War II world capitalist order. And then you had a hegemonic state, a dominant state, which is the United States, overseeing the whole system, of course, intervening around the world, imposing its own will, but in function of reproducing the system of world uh, capitalism. And it's that system, that international system. Uh, and for instance, just let me just add, it's not just the international institutions I just mentioned, the, the, you know, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, the um, International Bank for, for Settlements, all the different rules which govern the global economy and, and international law and so forth. It, it's not just all of that. It's that we've had throughout the history of world capitalism, and here I don't want to get too academic, but we've always had a hegemonic power. So it was, the original hegemonic power was Spain. It became the hegemonic power in the wake of and, and, and Portugal, of colonizing the Americas, conquering colonizing Americas. Then it went to the Dutch. Then it went to Great Britain. Great Britain was the, you know, said the sun never uh, set on its empire. And after World War II, the new great hegemonic power was the United States. That still is the case, but that hegemony is dramatically collapsing right in front of our own eyes. So the different... Um, the, the form of organizing world capitalism, the so-called rules-based system, which the U.S. breaks when those rules whenever it wants, and all of these institutions, they're all in deep crisis. They're collapsing. There's no mechanisms internationally that can stabilize the global capitalist system. So we spiral into ever deeper and out-of-control crisis with no clear direction about where, where we're going. So just to give a couple of examples, we have and it, without going into too much technical detail, it's called SWIFT, SWIFT, S-W-I-F-T, it stands for a larger thing, which I'm not going to say, there's no need to, is a system of international payments. So, for instance, a country in Central America, uh, Honduras, let's say, buys something from Russia or from the United States or from China, and there's international um, digital transactions for the payment of what it's buying. And that goes through the SWIFT system and how you move money around the world. And the SWIFT system is dollar-based, the SWIFT system. Every country in the world has been using it. Uh, if I want to send a wire transfer to a friend of mine, you know, give some, whatever, $500 to a friend of mine in, in Germany, I, I do the wire transfer through my bank, it goes through this SWIFT system. So that whole SWIFT system is basically the financial transaction architecture for the whole global economy, which we're all part of. And it is denominated in dollars. That means it gives control to the United States. So this SWIFT system, which sustains all these global financial transactions, is starting to erode now. And so what happened with the invasion of Ukraine, now this is not in the book because the book came out before the invasion of Ukraine, but it still is worth making the point here, that the invasion of Ukraine takes place, and then the United States leads the imposition of this economic warfare against Russia, locks Russia out of the global financial system and uh, global markets. And so Russia turns to its own international payments system. It already had one in place, but it starts using it now for its international economic transactions. China has one in place, too. And now the two of these alternative systems for international payments come into being. And so that means that now we have a very complex situation where the whole system for international tr financial transaction and payments is collapsing or it's breaking down into multiple centers. So this is what I mean, part of what I mean by the breakdown of the World War II international order. And I'll conclude with this. You might say, someone might say that's a good thing because this was an oppressive uh, international order that allowed the ruling groups to dominate the world since World War II. Absolutely. But the thing is, it signals that we're sliding into a very dangerous period. 
which could threaten much more massive regional or international conflagration than just Ukraine. It means there's a great deal of instability. We're going to have more economic collapses. People's lives everywhere are going to be thrown into further turmoil. Of course, the revolt from below is going to spread even further, that global revolt, and that's going to elicit a greater global response from the ruling classes of repression and control. And into all of that picture in which we're experiencing right now enters um, the ability of those above to control through the new systems of digital technology. So anyway, I know I'm throwing a tremendous amount out here, but this is sort of the big picture of what's going on in the world right now and, um, and, and, and what's happened in the last few years with digitalization and with the pandemic. I think with your book, The Global Police State, William, talks about those in the background if people want to get into it further. But yet this book, The Global, uh, the global uh, Civil War, you talked about the this advanced digitalization of the entire globe and that uh, the, the struggle to break out of the worldwide areas around this process. But then you go into the, the 21st century capitalism is very different from earlier variants of the system to develop yeah. in previous centuries. And you talked about that uh, in the book. Now, these particular, this very different from this variants of the system now is and now the, we're talking about the 21st century. What's so different about it? And talk about that, please. Sure. Yeah, so this gets into the heart of the book. So one of those, I mentioned at the beginning, there's these four big themes of the book, and this is really the very centerpiece of it, is this digital restructuring of global capitalism and what it means for all of us. So we have this emerging post-pandemic capitalist paradigm. And we are on the brink of a new, major new rounds of restructuring and transformation in the whole global economy and society and political systems based on a much more advanced digitalization of the entire world. So we've been speaking about globalization for a number of decades. And the first wave of globalization begins in the 1980s, continues up to really the 2008 financial collapse. And that was based on the introduction of computer and information technology and the Internet. And that original introduction of computer information technology allowed what I call the transnational capitalist class, the ruling groups, to coordinate and synchronize a global production system. That is to put into place a globally integrated system of production, finances, and services into which every country in the world has been integrated, often violently. And this globalized system of production, finance, and services driven by computer information technology is controlled by the powerful global corporations and financial conglomerates, that is the transnational capitalist class, and backed by the capitalist states that do their bidding. And during the pandemic, these, um, the transnational capitalist class and these corporations have uh, been able to dictate the response to the pandemic and vastly heighten their power and control. But let me go back to the digital restructuring, because I mentioned the first original introduction of computer information technology leads to the first wave of globalization. But now we have a second generation of digital-based technologies, and this promises to have even a more profound transformative effect on the uh, impact on the whole world. And this includes technologies coming online just before the pandemic and deeply accelerating during the pandemic and post-pandemic, including artificial intelligence and machine learning, big data, meaning the collection, processing, and analysis of immense amounts of data, the Internet of Things, blockchain, automation and robotization, 
nano and biotechnology. Of course, they are nano and biotechnology involving big pharma and the medical industrial complex. 3D printing, quantum and cloud computing. All these technologies can't go on normal computing. They have to jump to quantum and cloud computing. Autonomously driven land, air, and sea vehicles. Uh, augmented reality, virtual reality. Um, the 5G network. And the reason 5G network is so important is because it, al it allows all these new digital uh, applications to run. To, they have to run on 5G, um, on, on 5G. So the first industrial revolution was steam power and mechanization. That goes back to the late 1700s. The second big revolution in the world economy, and a technological grounds that is, was electrical power, which allowed us to have mass production, starting in the 1800s and going into, of course, last century, the 1900s. Then we had, as I mentioned, in the 70s and 80s, coming online the first generation of digital technology and the internet, which allowed globalization to be launched. And that was the third. That's why we call this the fourth industrial revolution based on these new cutting edge digital technologies. And what this means is that virtually every person on the planet is now connected through a single common digital network. And what we're seeing is a fusion of these new technologies blurring the lines between physical, digital, and biological worlds. Now, before I, I go into some detail, I want to go into some detail here on what this means in terms of restructuring, because it means greater control from above, more enhanced global police states, more inequality, more crisis. You might say, why? These are wonderful technologies. They could change, you know, the face of humanity for the better. Absolutely, under a very different social and economic system. So here's the thing. Based on these technologies, the pandemic allowed those that control these technologies to vastly expand the application, their application, and in doing so, to accelerate their power. The moment of silence is over. And that concludes the first part of a multi-part interview with William I. Robinson on his brand new book, Global Civil War, Capitalism Post-Pandemic, which you can pick up for $100 and support us and KPFK by calling 818-985-5735 or visit the kpfk.org website. A special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studio of Burnt Swamp Studios in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. Silence is over. And for the innocent, you can't justify why your freedom manifests on their graves. And the blood never comes clean from the guilty minds, nor the hands that hold the chains. Must be heard